The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. The Brandon Peters Show. Today we are here to discuss the 2003 film, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and returning to the show to discuss the film, author and incredible human, Greg McGoon. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me back. I'm nope. excited. Not a problem. So if you're a regular listener, you're probably like, where's my episode on the 1977 Turkish <laughs> film, The Girl with the Red Scarf? I uh, just let you know it's on the way. It's just had a little bit of delay, so you're getting like a bonus right here. Something that was going to happen later is happening now. So, uh, welcome back, Greg. Hello. Yep. Glad to be back. Excited to do this movie. It was almost the movie we were going to do the first time, but I went with a little bit more unconventional, and now we're going for the rom com. Yep. Because I you, love rom coms. When you mentioned it, I perked up. I don't know if you would have expected me to perk up with like, oh my gosh, no. we have to do that one. We were doing that one. Um, but you've been doing good. Are you vaccinated? I am. I am fully vaccinated. So that's been good. But the idea of like emerging into the world again (laughs) and having like social gatherings is a little like jarring for me because I don't know how to make small talk anymore in the, like, if you give me a topic Mm -hmm. or ask me specific questions, it'll be great. But the general, like, how are you doing? It's been so long. I'm like, yeah, no it's been long for everybody um so it's a little overwhelming to be put in these positions of like oh i can't really make excuses anymore about like not getting together so here we are good to see you after a year and a half and for many people longer than that because the year and a half was really just an extended version of like the already year i didn't see people (laughs) before that so um yeah it's tough but i have like my first kind of a friend of mine moved from new york to california like at the beginning of COVID. Mm -hmm. So she hasn't seen anybody yet being in California. Um, And she's having like a small, like 10 people beach gathering um, this Sunday. So I'm going to branch out and actually attempt to do that. Um, Everybody's vaccinated for that. So um, yeah, so that'll be my first kind of actually like socializing with people more than like my boyfriend and like two friends. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Best of luck at that. There are some people I would like to hang out with again, but I don't think they're going to be the ones that are like, yeah, let's do stuff. They'll probably be like me and be like, oh, I don't know. Oh, and I did go to Six Flags Magic Mountain actually oh, okay. this past weekend um, because in California, if you're in California, um, they have annual passes um, monthly for seven ninety five, and there is no catch, like no catch, really? unlimited visits, $7.95 right now. And that's like the cheap one. You can get one for like $10 and they have a bunch of like 20% discounts on everything, but, and it's free parking included. Like I'm not even that's like, insane. we tried it out $7.95, like for the price of going, which is less than going to one movie a right. month, you can go to six flags for as many times as you want in a month. Wow. Um, so I mean, I'm about 25 miles from it. So like a half hour drive, uh, not too bad to go. 
and like having a pass, you can just go for a couple hours and not feel like you're not getting your money's worth, which is good because of my dog. And as we know from one of my books, he's diabetic. So I have to keep him on routine. So I don't feel bad going away for like three, four hours to six flags, ride a roller coaster, come back. So yeah, $7.95 for a full year um, monthly. And um, that's basically a Netflix subscription, but for like real life activity. Yeah. A real thrill ride. <laughs> you might describe yep. Stranger Things as that, but you're getting the real physical thrill ride of that. And yeah, the show is sponsored by Six Flags Magic Mountain. So <laughs> seven ninety nine. Um, that's that's great. I've just been going it, to like the movie theater. <laughs> that's that's why like you know. I went to the movies for the first time, actually started to tear up a little bit just by being in, because movies are, I didn't realize how significant they were. And I know you do this too. I go to the movies by myself all the time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like my place of Zen and um, meditation in a sense, because dark room by yourself, it's the one time I actively make an effort to turn off my phone. So (laughs) I'm not even tempted to look at it and I can genuinely disconnect in a movie theater and walking into a movie theater and just sitting there alone in the darkness was really relaxing and peaceful but i actually felt recharged after doing it um but i saw cruella during it so at least it was a long one too for the first go um and i won't get into that but i talked about a little bit on instagram but i loved it um but we're not talking about that today so Yeah, I uh, my yeah I felt that same way when I I saw Tenet back in December uh, at a private screening with just nine people uh, in a seventy millimeter IMAX by my like everybody got their own row and split and like I was like oh my gosh I missed this so you know when this came up I didn't get to have what I saw seeing Spiral I'm glad I didn't get emotional like with the one I went and saw like just to be like. Woohoo, here we go. But it, it did I did have that rush of like, yes, I'm back. We're doing this. I was in my old AMC, so I was like, all right, cool. Cool. And I went back the next day, see a quiet place too. But yeah. So theaters are back. Um and speaking of being in theaters, this is uh we're going back to two thousand three today with uh how to lose a guy in ten days. I'm doing an article on everything girls do wrong in relationships. This Saturday. Tonight, I'll hook a guy. Hi. Pull the switch. Delivery, Andy. I'm going to have this guy running for his life. She'll have to choose between the perfect story. Gang's all here. Oh, no. And the perfect love. Can I see you tomorrow? He's really cute. Are you calling me your girlfriend? Yes. Kate (laughs) Hudson, Matthew McConaughey, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Look at you. You're beautiful. Rated PG-13. Special sneak preview Saturday. Check local listings is directed by Donald Petrie, which funny there's a lot there's gonna be a lot this week of things that connect oddly to stuff on this show unintentionally. <laughs> but Donald Petrie, he directed and if you listened last week, if you listen to all my stuff, you listen to old teen show, he directed the pilot episode of The Heights. Which oh. here I am discussing his film. I recorded that Heights episode about three weeks ago. So I had no idea this was coming up and these were going to connect. And I didn't even think about it when I was recording that. Oh, yeah, I had to lose again today. He also, uh, not to rehash if you listen to that again, but he directed Mystic Pizza, Grumpy Old Men, Miss Congeniality, Just My Luck. And on TV, he did MacGyver, Chicago Med, and Chicago PD, The Equalizer, L.A. Law, and Amazing Stories, that old Spielberg show. So, yeah, this oddly connects, and there's going to be a lot of activity, so stick with it all week. It's written by Kristen Buckley and Brian Regan, not the comedian, uh, Burr Steers, 
and it's based on a comic book by Michelle Alexander and Jeannie Long. The movie stars Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey, Catherine Hahn, Baby Newworth, Annie Paris, Adam Goldberg, Thomas Lennon, and Michelle Michelle. It's about Benjamin Barry is an advertising executive and ladies' man who, to win a big campaign, bets that he can make a woman fall in love with him in 10 days. Unbeknownst to him, the woman selected is Andy Anderson, writer for women's magazine Composure, who is currently working on her latest experiment to begin dating a man and drive him away in 10 days. The writers of this, two of them of the three... Their only other credit is 102 Dalmatians. I, like, I was going to say that. I was like, what an odd thing that the only movie I've seen is like the remake of Cruella. And, yet, <laughs> and when I saw that these like writers, two of them wrote 102 Dalmatians. Not even the first one, but the <laughs> sequel to the, the first live action. Uh, this, um, other, this other guy, Steers, uh, he was the writer director of uh, Igby Goes Down, which is a neat little indie film that was big right around when it came out. And just I don't think it has one of the Culkin kids in it. Uh, he also wrote and directed Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, he's directed The L Word, Big Love, 17 Again, Charlie St. Cloud. And as an actor, he was in the horror movie Intruder from 89, which was had Bruce Campbell, all the Raimis in it. Uh, kind of yeah. a cool thing. And then he directed, he was in Stilk Stockings, Pulp Fiction, and Last Days of Disco. So, well-rounded individual. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the movie... Came out in 2003, originally supposed to be Gwyneth Paltrow and uh, Mike Newell directing, who did yeah. Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Mona Lisa Smile, Pushington, Donnie Brasco, but that did not happen. So, no. And and this is one and that I love Gwyneth Paltrow. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I think like I love her movies. Um, I think she's a great actress in a lot of things that she does. I'm actually a super fan of a movie called Duets that most people don't even know about, which is very You're bizarre. coming back for Duets. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, my gosh. So bizarre. And, like, her relationship with her, like, estranged father. Like, it just... What is this, like, karate like, Yeah. Yeah. Um, love that. Like, so I love her. Country Strong. I think she can do it. But, like, Kate Hudson is this movie for me and i don't i didn't realize like the minute we confirmed doing this movie i immediately just started writing down notes and just quote from this movie (laughs) i have this movie memorized but not only do i have it memorized i didn't realize the significant impact it had like defining my later character because the mannerisms and the gestures that she does throughout the movie i've organically kind of incorporated into my life without even realizing and i'm like subconsciously actually referencing this movie on a daily basis just from when she's in her pitch meeting just to like the way she thinks where she's like i'm thinking about things and just just the way she kind of moves and like and i'll just do kind of silly things when i want to be kind of outlandish or Mm -hmm. the "Mm, i'm so thirsty like it's um almost kind of um which shit's creek which i love 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 um alexis yeah has some of those like traits that kate hudson did in 2003 with the kind of that oh we're gonna do this like it's so cute and mr just that kind of quirkiness um i didn't realize how much of it i got from kate hudson in this movie and i mean moral of the story is kate hudson is a treasure and she really got a lot of those um comedic gifts Mm -hmm. i think from her mom and icon goldie hahn who is just a treasure in her own right. And my burning man nickname is Goldie um, oh. because I go to, um, not because of Goldie Hawn per se, because it's golden, but Goldie for short. 
Um, but I do adore Goldie Hawn more than like anything. And um, it's just kind of fitting that I would fall into a nickname of Goldie and I love Goldie Hawn and Kate Hudson is her child. So, um, and I love this movie. Anyways, sorry yeah. for the tangent. No, um, I, I can't. Yeah. Like, I agree. She totally like, I can't picture when you hear Paltrow, I'm like, does that work? Well, that's the thing is Kate Hudson has like this ease and this kind of more exuberant energy and there's something more playful about it. While Mm -hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow, although very good at comedy, has more of a dry sense of like a subtle, dry comedic tone. Yeah. Um, So there there's I I think she can do it and she's great in her rom-coms, but I don't know how she would sell the Mr. Sniffles line. Um, but here's the thing though, that I did read is a lot of these scenes were improvised yeah. and Kate Hudson had a lot of freedom to improvise. And I don't think that is as strong of a suit as Gwyneth Paltrow. No. I could be wrong on that one, but I just think Kate Hudson took it and ran with it. She made and it when you, nobody but her. Yeah. And again, I'm talking just about her. This whole cast is phenomenal. And as I talked about in, um, our other episode, it's a testament to these actors that they made this movie so delightful and charming in a premise that should not work by any stretch of the imagination. It's the most absurd concept Mm -hmm. ever for a movie because in what universe are people actually sitting there complaining about their struggle to lose a guy? Like just the idea that this is something that women are unaware of, or even just like men are just like, Oh, what am I like? I don't, I mean, I get the premise is like kind of what women are doing wrong, mm-hmm. but there's so many issues with just that concept too. Um, because you have Michelle, like this movie is like two parts where you kind of have like Andy Anderson pre Benjamin Barry and just their names alone to the alliteration. <laughs> delightful. Um, you have Andy kind of in her little like girl squad and this, she's established to be kind of this ideal woman who is independent career oriented substantial a girl's girl but also can hang with the guy loves sports um loves her basketball games so she's kind of this idealized person which is actually kind of uncommon for rom-coms too where the entire movie although about dating isn't about dating like neither of them are motivated by connection or a relationship at all And yet this movie kind of forces them into a situation that really is irrelevant to their daily lives. Like Ben's concerned about work and Andy's concerned about work. And it's kind of this flippant idea of like, look at Michelle over there just struggling with dating. And she's kind of that foil to Andy's kind of career motivated, like power, power woman um, vibe that they're giving off. And like Ben is just a narcissistic hotshot player where like you don't really see any sense even when they start dating that they're really concerned about relationships, which you typically see in a lot of rom-coms where there is this uneven power balance or just some form of dynamic that's set up where it's just like these two people kind of meet and it's supposed to be organic. Nothing about this movie is organic. Mm. It is fully contrived from the beginning setup where even the camera angles and the cameraman is well aware of it, even in the bar with um, when Andy walks in and the, um, the Judy's you're like villain, like kind of um, women right. are setting it up. And like the camera pans to her, it's like, 
that one and she's like Shh, and she does that little whisper like close up like we get it like we know what you're doing like any more arrows pointing they are almost people. like animated villain disney cats like that's that's yeah it's crazy what those two look yeah but no, and it plays into that yeah no you're right with all the the, the weirdest like all the dates are things stuff t- stereotypes just nothing deep or it's it's lines he's playing it's acts they they're both acting in a way that they see their own gender stereotyped almost and, and so that's that's what makes it basically a romantic farce and i don't mm-hmm. think and that's why i think i appreciate this movie more is because i think people want to take it more seriously or look at it from this notion of actually like dating and building a relationship when i think the movie itself despite like spoiler they end up together but i mean that's in the freaking trailer it really shows the final scene (laughs) of them hugging in the trailer but they're self-aware and like based on like even the description of a farce the use of deliberate absurdity or nonsense satire parody and mockery of real life situations people events and interactions unlikely and humorous instances of miscommunication ludicrous improbable and exaggerated characters and scenarios i mean that is this movie when it's tackling dating Mm-hmm. And just the improbable setup that the odds of these two characters, one who's forced to keep a guy and one who's forced to lose a guy, are now forced together for their own self-interest is an unlikely improbable situation. And right there you have like the setup for a great farce. And if you like romantic movies, look at it from that kind of angle and you go, okay, everybody's in on this joke except for the two like you have the two teams playing against each other they're not aware of it but they're both like on their own joke and in their own little world and i love that about this movie it's just not maybe as physical as what people would consider like a farce to be but there's still a lot of outlandish um either expressions and gestures and just dialogue that plays into this kind of farce that develops um based on how much kind of how unhinged she becomes throughout this movie because she kind of goes too far and we can talk yeah. about that too. So, right. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said about it. Like I wanted to point out, like this is on McConaughey's side and this is a, this is a rom-com kind of thing in general, dipping in again after a wedding planner. That was like his first one. Uh, and then one. this is after he does rain of fire. And during this time, he's like according you know if you follow lore there's the reconnaissance that comes basically means it's just showing that people are viewing rom-coms as some slumminate genre that he's doing yeah. he's acing romantic comedies at this time he's a star it's just guess what bros ain't going to these movies so therefore they don't count for some reason and yeah. like was there really a reconnaissance or did he just slowly take a break from rom-coms? Like, I mean, like, cause he's good in these movies. He's, you know, not slouching. And during this time, he's doing other things. He did like Sahara. That was a big, mm-hmm. people bitch about not having Indiana Jones movies because they should see that because it's actual practical things. It's a fun adventure and just costs too much. Yeah. And he's doing, I mean, he had that We Are Marshall movie trying to do something prestige or whatever, but he's still doing these things. It's just, you know, Lincoln Lawyer comes and he's, I don't, I don't know, in a suit 
spouting off some snappy lines and oh here he is he's back and it's like he didn't leave he just floated in a genre you weren't paying attention to him because straight males are all the writers and stuff at the time they're not paying attention to him they're not considering him as important like if you take this movie and this is why i'm pointing out this movie you take it and you throw it way back say black and white Cary grant Catherine hepburn all-time classic it's brilliant uh this is a masterpiece of cinema Da, 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 da. This is a concept that would work way back then. Yes. It's probably better because it's a little, it could be silly, but that's what it is. And, but in a modern sense, it's slumming it. It's the chick flick marathon thing that they don't want to see, but like, it's what it is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you nailed like a few things that I was thinking. Like, it, like, it kind of, I mean, in 2003, I was in high school. So it, like, I can't really say if this, works in terms of like how dating like or where bars that packed did people as easily just go out and casually do it but Mm -hmm. like in 2021 in this kind of i don't think it would ever work this idea of in like the era like in this era of like habitual swiping and ghosting culture which i don't think ghosting was really coined then and swiping smartphones weren't really a thing so dating was a little different but if you throw it back to the Cary grant and all those times Dating was actually something where you met somebody and you didn't just disappear because it was a little bit more of like a like more difficult because there were fewer opportunities, so to speak, um, to meet people. So when you did, you invested a little bit more time before you kind of went away. There was a courting process. There was just, things have shifted. It doesn't mean that today's if ghosts would have happened back then, the police might have been called. Like they're not in. <laughs> that's kind of true like there was a thing where people could show up at somebody's house and it wouldn't be creepy and yet now it's like wait you're coming without texting first like there's just so many ways to communicate Mm -hmm. now that there wasn't that i think something like this could kind of work but here's the other thing that's hilarious about this movie the amount of assumptions in this world that they create in this movie for it to even work before ben and andy even get together like first, just quick side note to BB Newworth, who is just a gem and a stage icon and just mm-hmm. tremendous no matter what. The way she delivers that line, the title line in the movie during that first pitch meeting of <laughs> yes. like how to lose a guy in ten days. Yes. Go like it's just the spiritual revelation that like <laughs> they came up with this brilliant guy. You're like, in what world like Again, I would look at her and being like, wait a second. I don't understand. So so people don't understand how to get lose a guy. What do you mean? Like, how does this work? So you're going to start dating a guy? Well, how are you going to meet a guy so quickly? Like, the idea that she can effortlessly meet a man right then, that day, and then guarantee a second date. And then guarantee that after that second date, he will call back. And then when she acts weird, the assumption that not only will he like call back, but he will give you an explanation for why he's behaving or disappearing. Because what's the article? She was needy. He didn't call. No article. Like, what exactly are Ten you days assuming in a you're going to get? Ten days in a no. row. Who has time for that? Like, thankfully, <laughs> I'm in a relationship right now. But when you go on dates, I've had many a second date during my dating days. And mm-hmm. I've been on many a date. But like second dates usually come within five days or so of right. the first one, even if it goes really well and you just kind of communicate and talk during those things. 
because schedules are hard to coordinate. There's so many factors that go into dating that in what world are you free every night after this, meeting somebody? This could work if you were at a university and a girl's working yes. on a college paper and that I could I could see that because college is while well, we're stuck in this same little town um, Agreed. and have nothing to do but class. So you could do that. Uh, you could find someone. We could let's let's work on this script, Greg. We're gonna redo how to lose a guy in ten days. I, I mean, that is actually I didn't even think about that. Is the perfect scenario for this movie to work is college setting or like nowadays you probably set it in high school because Netflix just loves a good complicated high school love story. And if you um, said in the eighties, they'll double your budget. So true. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but you're right. Like, but in what world are two working professionals that available? And neither of them are like by wait a second why are you around every night like that right. would be already weird because he like showers her with hundreds of roses like day two and in her mind she's like great i got them kind of intense for your like second like day of meeting somebody so there's just so many little factors that neither neither of them are actually aware of they do have a good because- a to b there she has the next tickets which is that night and he needs to yes. get to that game that night. So, okay. Yes. You did it there, but then, hmm. Every other night. Like, how does... I mean, it works that they do watch the games together. And, like, again, this movie manages... The actors sell it. The movie... Like, everybody sells this scenario. I don't... Every time I watch it, and I rewatched it before this, even though I could recite the whole thing. Like, you know how, like, movies do sing-alongs? I could do an act-along and just literally deliver every line of this movie while it's playing. Um, but they... they, they sell it and you believe them and you go along on like each little episode of their journey together you're like what's she going to do next but when you think about the time frame of which it's happening it's just mind-blowing to me that this is like oh that's the fourth day wait four dates but who has the available the fact that neither of them are actually questioning the availability and just their overall time frame well, to me so i think the thing is they're so focused on each other's yeah agenda that they're making it happen and it just goes to degrees that are of absurdity which is 1000 percent intended for comedy but i don't know if a modern audience in in the oos or even now can accept in a like everything's such gotta be so grounded and stuff you can't people don't laugh at absurdity as much anymore but if this was like i said cary grant Catherine Hepburn, black and white. You're like, ha ha ha! Look at the. She brought a dog already. They're going to counseling, but the escalation I don't think can be seen. Like a lot of people don't like the absurd anymore. It's it's a shame because absurd is funny, I know. and that's where this is. Um, but yeah, like that's that's part of it too. And the, the reason that they're so they're more they're more invested in either their agendas than they are each other, and that's why it's able to go to these extremes, which is kind of in a weird twisted way refreshing for a rom-com because even though there's a lot of, I mean, they're both kind of awful. I mm-hmm. mean, the escalation that she behaves is so intrusive into his life that it's uh, like borderline alarming, like contacting his mother without his consent, right. like getting a key to his apartment, getting him a dog. Like that's a living creature. That's not just like a gift. Like you see all all those memes about like people and like, don't get a bunny for Easter because they're cute because it's the lifetime. Like don't get a guy you've known for three days, a dog. Like (laughs) it just, there's a lot of troubling like aspects to it. But again, a testament to Kate Hudson who you go, you're charming and delightful. And I just want to be your best friend. 
So she makes me like, I would want that dog from her, but I would want to hang out with like, I would want to hang out with crazy Andy every day because she just was fun to me and just adorable. But it just, it was so invasive into his life that that's something that like couples would do after years Mm -hmm. of being together of like having talks about like, should we get a dog? Like, are we going to meet family? She didn't have, she didn't know he had a weird history with his mother or his family. Like there are some friends I had, if anybody tried that, it's like they're a strange parent. Like that's just maybe opening wounds, but you accept it in this because it's packaged in a way that is glossy and shiny and fun. So, you know, the movie's intention is not to cause harm. Right. So we're going in there with this idea that it's not harmful, but the actual reality of it, it's a very harmful movie. It's haunting. Like, what if, what if she, somebody suffering from severe depression and just came out of it, she picked them or yeah. some personality disorder or like a stalker or like like she she's very open with who she is and everything. Like, it's, yeah, it, only in a movie. <laughs> only in a movie does it work. And again, these two actors, but that's the thing about this movie. And again, it looks like they're having fun. It's mm-hmm. one of those movies you watch and you're like, I feel like everybody wants to be there. I feel like the director created an environment where like he said, have fun with this. Like, enjoy yeah. yourselves. Like, you're meant to, um, what did, like, um, what did B.B. Newer say? She said something where it was like, um, like, viciously, like, evil or like, vi- unnecessarily vicious or something when she was reading through the notes and she makes a quick reference telling somebody about how it's like needlessly vicious. I think that's right. what she said to the Judy's about the article or like to someone, but like, that's the point is like, everybody is like aware on both sides of how kind of cruel this is and taking pleasure out of it. So, so from that, you step out of it and you are allowed to watch this kind of fantasy rom-com farce and not like you're supposed to with the wedding planner per se, which again, you're root in the wedding planner. You're rooting for, a cup a marriage to break up or like a pending marriage to break up so he can get with the wedding planner. Like there's a lot of inappropriate things there, but you're supposed to believe in the wedding planner. It's more organic and, and you feel their struggle and this it's just like, let's dig the knife in deeper and have fun with it. And in other scenarios, if you wrote this as a scenario, this could be a lifetime movie only and like an (laughs) evil dark one. And I've been on a lifetime movie kick. Don't get me started on that right now. Um, (laughs) All the nightmare collections, like for your listeners, if you have not seen a wife's nightmare, a sister's nightmare, a brother's nightmare, a father's nightmare, wait, there's no brothers. Lots of nightmares, a surrogacy nightmare, just winning. Those movies win. All right. But, um, But back to this, but this movie has this idea of like, okay, I have to get rid of a guy who won't go away. That's a stalker movie. Like there's something yeah. about it that's kind of, but, but again, their <laughs> own self, their own self-interest is motivating this thing. And then the other issue, um, and again, I love this movie. So it's funny to look at it like this because I'm not treating it as your kind of rom-com of uh, this kind of this sweeping love story. I'm treating it as a comedy right. romance second. And I think a lot of people go in treating it as a romance and a comedy second, if it's not your type of comedy, but I mean, that's how they sell it, you know, that, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's a vicious kind of comedy yeah. with fun, great acting in it. And that's the thing is people dismiss like rom-coms like, Oh, like if people who do rom-coms can't really act. I'm like, I've seen so many. And if they're not really well acted or well directed, mm-hmm. they're not fun. Like these people, 
that first encounter of Kate Hudson and Matthew Connor, the one word exchange, which has become kind of iconic, just people just kind of know it where it's just like interested, perhaps hungry, starving, just that one word exchange yeah. or like analyzing each other. And it's just, they deliver that perfectly that you accept it. And yes, it's founded on this idea of this like intrigue attraction law, like principle of like, they're clearly both like, hot and attractive so there's already like okay guys standing i need a guy yeah. i need a woman we're both attractive let's just feel this out and they don't need to really do any work on that but it's like the the movie is kind of flawed because okay so let's say andy does push the guy away let's say like it was somebody who wasn't matthew mcconaughey who had to keep her around what would she like what do you really learn from this article like what is your outcome okay he stopped calling after i did baby talk oh he stopped calling after i said i was vegetarian what do you really fully learn and what does that prove to michelle who thinks that she's doing something wrong mm -hmm. and a lot of these movies kind of look at women in a way that it's their responsibility to cater to men and michelle wasn't like she made mistakes and Michelle wasn't really making mistakes. She was just maybe being too premature with some of her behavior, saying, I love you on a second date, crying during sex. Not, well, like saying, I love you, not bad. On a second date, premature. Crying during sex, not necessarily bad if it's really romantic and intimate. Mm -hmm. It can happen. And if that's just something you do, then you want to find somebody who's comfortable with that. So to look at Michelle as problematic or like her being the issue in these dating things it's not so much how to lose a guy in 10 days. It's more of how to be more self-aware on a date. Yeah. Um, and that's where it just kind of loses you on this idea. That's again, BB new where just being like, it's such a genius idea. It's just, it's just, you don't have the ability to do it. I think she couldn't really start dating a guy. It's more of she needs to interview men and like maybe find what they say like that to me would have made a more effective article is like what do guys say are their kind of like no-nos like don't call back warning signs red flags for them and which is again catering to the man and not the woman it's mm -hmm. not like how can a guy impress a woman it's more of like how can a woman guarantee a second date how can they build a relationship and in all these right and not this this movie the idea that people say they're in a relationship after two dates is absurdity to me. I don't know yeah. if that's a straight people thing or anybody, but <laughs> I've not met any friends or I've not heard from anybody where, I mean, if, if two dates constitutes like we were in a relationship or we were dating, then I've been in more date like relationships than I can count. But I would not say that. So I find it really funny that she was like, it was such a touching relationship after five days. Like that's, that's not a thing. So, so you have to, but I appreciate in this movie, it puts a giant like flashlight on the 10 day mark. Like right. other movies, it's supposed to be like, we just fell in love in a weekend, like get away. And it just was so unexpected. Mm, this movie is just like, haha, we're giving you 10 days to do it. So we're, it, it kind of puts you at ease almost because you're just like, you, you want that to happen rather than say, I can't believe they fell in love in 10 days. It's just like, Oh my God, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? <laughs> you're excited for it because there is that timeline when you're more dismissive in other movies that this happens, the same thing happens in such a short period of time, which again, 
isn't something we're seeing as common. And I think the reason why rom-coms are kind of dying out, as people say, or moving more towards like an indie format and not this kind of glowy, contrived scenario is because people are recognizing that it's not natural. None of this is natural. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to try to put it in this natural setting, you need to either up the stakes like how to lose a guy in 10 days or not do it. So or just or it's going to just kind of fall flat. And I think I think you're right. We can set this in college and remake it today, but I don't know if it would work as adults today. But then most rom-coms don't work today. So I think uh, yeah. if they give rom-coms a chance to explore different representation, I yeah. think, I mean, look at Crazy Rich Asians. That's that's rom-com. That was huge in yep. America um, yep. because it's something they don't see, we don't see every day and you it's new. It may be those same old tales, but people will go to those because like as you know i i know not the case with all straight white males but i like to see it because it's something i'm not familiar with i, I can i can learn i can it's unpredictable because it's taking a different uh culture race ethnicity you know sex uh, sexuality all that stuff that i learn i can see a new side of humor i can see a new side of life and that's exciting to me going to see two mm-hmm hot straight white people get together we have so much of that um so i think representation could be the key to bringing it back to success in the theater in terms of i mean we do still see those like kind of straight white couples all the time in rom-coms they exist Mm -hmm. but they've more now been kind of classified or classified more for like made for tv right and like your hallmarks your lifetimes your netflix now where they exist i think like netflix is always but they're not like these tentpole movies like they used to be back then because i mean you could sit there and list off the wedding planner made in manhattan like you had j-lo as a big rom-com star you had mm-hmm. Kate hudson as a big rom-com star um you had these big tentpole like genre at least not temp um movies where now we've kind of shifted into like superhero romance stuff if they try to weave that in but but this idea of these kind of glossy rom-coms i remember when um a few years ago when um uh jennifer lopez did that wrong like glossy rom-com um um um, what's it called it's on netflix for free like netflix now but i did see it in the theaters um where she was where um oh it's gonna drive me crazy and i actually enjoyed it Anyway, title's not important. Jennifer Lopez's rom-com from a few years ago. That was an attempt to bring back that kind of stylized, glossy rom-com right. with a slight twist because they were like, she was old, like the characters were a little bit older and the relationship wasn't so defined by a man and there were other little elements in there. So um, I think people are trying to do them, but I don't think there is as much as a, clamoring for it as it is just kind of become netflix background noise that people put on because you don't need to pay attention to know what's going to happen Mm -hmm. and i think even though you don't need to know what's like you know what's going to happen and how to lose a guy in 10 days the way they deliver the lines the way they deliver each little like kind of outlandish scenario you want to watch you're not just waiting for them to get together because you just kind of want to watch how they're going to get out of this situation right and it's fun so this movie keeps you engaged at least it keeps me engaged and um this blew my mind the other day when i was looking up this movie Kate hudson was 23 
when she did this movie. Yeah. He was 33. She was 23 years old in this movie. She for feels some late reason, 20s, early 30s. She had yeah, look, but, I mean, but... No, yeah. but that's the thing. Is like I guess that's basically like, and I always call it like Scarlett Johansson syndrome of where you can play like 30 and like 16 in the same year. I mean, like Kate Hudson doesn't really have an age to me when I like watch mm-hmm. her movies. It's hard for me to tell what age you're supposed to be. Um, and the fact that she was as nuanced as she was in this movie. I mean, okay. And this is going to be a very, very bold, bold claim. And no one can touch the person I'm about to reference in terms of comedy. Lucille Ball is one of the most comedic geniuses. But Kate Hudson has qualities that are reminiscent of Lucille Ball and her kind of slapstick, like kind of comedy, like mm-hmm. like I Love Lucy elements in this movie of just her bigger gestures that Kate Hudson sells and you think come off as natural, just like Lucy does with everything she does. It felt natural. And I Love Lucy will always be my all-time favorite show. And I can tell you, I can talk about every episode, everything. Kate Hudson achieves a level of comedy and nuance in this movie that if you watch it carefully, you can see there's a lot going on in there that is beyond just delivering a line. And that's something that was so natural to Lucille Ball. She's got little mannerisms in there too, that I was enjoying too, that you you won't catch on the first time, but you watch this a couple, you're like, Oh, that was a really, that was a nice touch there. Which she did. I can't, I had one, I didn't write it down, but there was one, there was one little moment. I think when he made her dinner or something, there's, some little move she made that I thought was really irrelevant, but brilliant at the same time. And I can't recall what it is. So sorry, listeners for that. Um, but, just, but there's so many though. Like that's yeah. the thing. Like when she tells them to put out the cigars and she does a little, and like they, yeah. that's something that like Lucy would have done. And I'm not saying Kate Hudson is Lucy of all. I'm just saying that like the ease of comedy that like Lucy just kind of blew the lid open to in the mm. world to Kate Hudson is able to kind of almost generate some of that ease and natural like comedic humor that Lucille Ball actually had. Um, So I wish that I wish Kate Hudson had more opportunities Mm. to do more of those comedies where I think she, because you saw how talented she was in almost famous, which wasn't really a comedy, but you just saw her just glow on screen, which allowed her to do this movie. But then her other romantic comedies weren't as, strong i don't think i mean i i'm trying to think of if there's any i mean something borrowed bride wars they were all fun charming and delightful but they just didn't quite have the level of play and maybe that's because she was able to improvise more in this movie and if that's the thing then kate hudson is really shockingly talented if you look at what she can do especially in an improvised setting even just her voice inflection of the like um a movie my choice and she like squeals and she's excited and she's like but ben i'm so thirsty just all those little elements that she does it could have come across as either like bitchy or obnoxious and even though it's kind of obnoxious you just kind of want to like go oh but that's sweet <laughs> like you you don't think that there's bad that there's bad will in her. You don't think there's her anything on-off negative. Switch is adorable. Like you see yes. her being devious, but you're like, huh, <laughs> you know, like that's she like, can you watch her turn it on and off? And it's not, it's natural. It's in character. Um, there's a lot going on, but it's like fun, devious, respectful, and just you enjoy it. You're like, watch, like seeing her change from person to person. 
Absolutely. And then everybody kind of does that in, the, in this movie. This mm -hmm. movie highlights it for her because she's on screen more. But Matthew McConaughey has all these little like, and I don't want to dismiss him in this because he, I mean, he's recognized now for all the drama that he does, but he was good as a rom-com guy and not yeah. like as a low, like a lot of men fall flat, but he had personality. He had character. His character may have been kind of shitty, but you, but he had to play this in a way her character was good for him because you don't really know his character other than he's a hot shot, know-it-all, like level 10 mansplainer. Like he's telling these women, like, I know more about women than women do. <laughs> so it's kind of almost. That's probably why they thing. choose to show us his family and not like hers. Well, and you also wonder, she probably doesn't have a strong relationship with yeah. her family because she's so emotional about it. So I think for him, it's almost like this movie almost would work too is if there wasn't like a bet, but it was more of like, this asshole guy who needs to be knocked down a peg and then just like finds a woman just to like kind of break him down and break down his barriers. Mm -hmm. Because again, she does cross the line with the key and the dog and the, like those elements, but she has good, like, but she's still being sweet in some weird way, mm -hmm. but he needed that kind of reality check to like be forced to put up with dating because I think he is the guy to be, dismissive of women i mean that's an assumption of just kind of the initial intro to him that he's a player who would get rid of women and this forced him to get to know a woman maybe she was putting on an act but it put him in a scenario that he probably wouldn't get and then be a like a lonely 40 something year old bachelor going like what did i do with my life later well, on and we meet so, him trying to take a, a gig from two women at yeah. a place and and rather than they work together and rather than work together or see how he could help them he wants to just outright take it yeah so. and and he's i mean he's awful like i'm but this thing is like he's gaslighting her by being genuinely sweet and compassionate and leading her on but she doesn't even want that so it's yeah. just kind of funny where he's being the ideal guy and she's like why <laughs> and and you and that's the thing is um the elevator the the poker night is genius like that scene is so fun and when they're all hanging out for poker and they're doing the thing and then she they she overhears them talking about her being crazy and she flips the whole um play platter of all the carrots and celery and you're like, i'm a crazy person what and then she kind of almost has to take the initiative to be like i'm giving you the breakup like just nod right. to it and like storms out because one of the most iconic lines in like the entire movie that even if you don't know the movie, you know, like our love fern, it died, you let it die. <laughs> like everybody knows the love fern line. So the friends saw the crazy and yet they encourage the couples counseling after day on day six, yeah. like day six or talking about counseling. But that elevator scene, when the elevator door closes and like after she, he says, I'll call you tomorrow, let's do couples therapy. You like see her not be, why is he crazy as much as, oh, I'm actually potentially hurting a real man here now because she thinks that he's genuinely now invested in her. And it gets this weird, like the subtle face that she gives where she's kind of starting to fall for him, not knowing it's an actor. It's, it's a very twisted, it's almost like her punishment now for being so unhinged with him that she's starting to catch feelings. And that's kind of a tricky line to play of like, is that even appropriate? Mm -hmm. Her catching genuine, but really the true villain of this whole movie is not so much the Judy's 
as it is Ben's boss. Ben's huh. boss is the meanest, like, not the meanest, is the worst character because he is complicit in this. And not only that, it's his subjective notion that he will declare whether or not this random woman loves this man. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like, I will decide on this day. He's a terrible man. Like Ben is self-involved and he's motivated trying to get ahead. The boss, what does he, he's willing to watch his own employee basically gaslight and humiliate a woman not knowing the situation because he thinks it's fun to like prove a point to get a job. Like that's how he's going to conduct business. That's very inappropriate. Yeah. Like call HR. So, <laughs> so right there, I'm just really like the Judy's I understand. Like that's like the caddy, like college friend. Like I get it. He was being a douche to them. He tried to mansplain about like what women don't know. Give me a break. They, they're fine to me. They're kind of funny and he kind of get deserves it. But the boss, his own boss being like, even at the parties, like, Oh, good job, Ben. She loves you. And he's like, wait, what? She loves me. It's just like, how is this okay? <laughs> <laughs> like that's where it really is. Just like, that's where it got me. And it like broke my heart. I was like, no, like even, um, uh, BB Newworth kind of started feeling bad. She thought it was fun until she realized like, Oh no, like this got too far and I should have seen the warning signs and she didn't like she, mm -hmm. you can sense like remorse on his face. He's like, good job, man. You got your job. Like you got it. And it's just like, Oh, so really the worst character in this is the boss. We have, we have uncovered boss. the true villain. The true villain, the true villain is the, the boss in this movie. Uh, oh, yeah, it just, and I'm, Again, and like you get full farce with the singing at the end, um, just getting on stage and being, but again, the movie's self-aware. It's like tone deaf and drunk, not a good combination. The movie doesn't try to make you think that this is just a natural occurrence. The highlights every moment, like you see what we're doing? Wink, wink, wink. It just, it wants you to know and it lets you enjoy that. So you're not holding your breath. So just go in there just saying, oh, shit's about to go down have fun with it. They're having fun with it mm -hmm. as an audience. You can too. And everything that's going bad in this movie, just know that like, they know it's bad. <laughs> like every character except for the boss knows it's bad. Yeah. So, so you can't criticize the movie for being like, for behaving badly when the movie is telling you we're behaving badly. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I have to say like too, we haven't brought up much at all, but like the supporting players here, like especially like Thomas Lennon and Catherine Hahn really, take this up many notch i mean those two are like veteran rom-com plants like oh let's stick them in there they'll they'll improve your movie and yes marvel people katherine hahn existed before wandavision uh, and has been great ever since landing so I, i'm glad everybody yeah. discovered her uh this year but or was it yeah this year but this year she's she's been around just watch other things you'll see her um but they are hilarious both of them like I was like a Catherine Hahn growing up, um, like in terms of like dating wise, mm -hmm. I just be like, oh my god, second day, I really liked it. What happened? Like I saw myself more in her than I did in <laughs> Andy. But then like Andy is like again this idealized kind of like woman who's strong. And it's funny like as I was describing her, I was like, oh my god, she's like my friend Danielle, who you have interviewed on the yep. show. She's a writer who like is got substance and is a girl's girl, but like loves the sporting games, like a Mets super fan. So she's kind of got all these qualities of Andy. And I'm like, well, that's not me. I'm like Michelle crying over somebody I like <laughs> met after like two dates. 
You're um, not a real therapist, are you? No, um, I wish. Um, uh, but she's genius, and um, she's a brilliant stage actress too. I saw her five mm-hmm. times on Broadway in Boeing, Boeing. Um, so I, I love like Catherine Hahn became really one of my favorite people after this movie, and I followed her career very heavily after that. And again, saw her on Broadway multiple times because I was like, I love her. So I like made like I did like something on Instagram where I was like, I'm glad people finally realized that Catherine Hahn, like the the Renaissance or the <laughs> Catherine Hanessance or something that they were calling it. So like, that's what I think I saw like a news article just like now because of um, the TV show hacks, um, they're calling it like the Jean Smartessance or something okay. like this Renaissance of Jean Smart. Um, so like certain actresses are getting like recognized later on in life. Catherine Hahn was a star in that movie um, going toe to toe with Kate Hudson in the few scenes that she was in and delivered. And even um, Annie Paris. Um, is that how you pronounce it? I think so. I saw yeah. on um, I saw off Broadway in a show. I've seen her on stage. Who's a very talented actress. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Judys. Who I mean, um, Michelle Michelle. She's worked consistently all the way through. Yeah. Um, till like now. So this and again, BB Newworth. Everybody knows. And the two friends of Matthew McConaughey. All of them are very much Adam like Wilbur, steady, yeah. steady working actors. Um, so this movie nailed like picked out people who just meshed really well together. And um, I, I, I just love the characters in this movie and I love how like awful they are, but I think, but they realize that they're being awful and then they come to terms with it. And even the contrived, like we're going to play bullshit just so that we can call bullshit at the end. Like, yeah, it's yep. just funny to me <laughs> that, that this movie, it takes every like romantic comedy trope and kind of slaps it in the face. It like it slaps it in your face, and then it like kind of slaps that away from your face. Like it just kind of it puts a spotlight on and saying, "So you see what we're doing here," and then kind of just like blows well, it up. Even for to you. the point of the movie ends on the way to the airport before they get there, not at the airport. Like it sets yeah. you up like it's going to be one of those airport rom com endings. Yeah. No, he he gets there before with. Uh, Jim Blossom's follow you down playing. I don't yep. know what the connection is there. It just feels like, I like that song here. Yeah. I like um, that song, but it's just like, it's re- like, why didn't they do a reprise of like Keith Urban's um, somebody like you? Cause uh, that, that was, that meant something in the movie. It was there. I did notice the version of that song used in this movie was a very decountrified version yes. of it. They took away the banjo and they put electric electric guitar of it, took a lot of the twanginess out of it and tried to make yep. it as just straight soft rock pop as they yep, could, the which so- is interesting. The song came out before the movie and then they there's two music videos to it essentially, but like yeah. the, the music videos are the same, but just one version has clips from the movie woven in to like him singing out in the desert. So, but Keith Urban is one of my like greatest loves. We'll talk and about that I, on Friday, we, folks. We, we will. Friday. So I, I'm excited to talk about Keith Urban, but yeah. yeah, that movie and just that scene with that song, it's just the whole thing works in its own twisted sort of way, especially when they first have sex in like the parents' house bathroom. <laughs> um, like in the show, you're like, why does this work? And why am I like tearing up and like misty eyed? Like, this is so awkward. It was so funny. I was like, I was watching, I'm like, that's a parent. All right. You know what? When it happens, it happens. Yeah. And it's like, that's the thing is like, I don't know, but from seeing so many rom-coms, at least until the last like five minutes of it or so, mm-hmm. 
of the movie. I like how kind of in control and strong Kate Hudson's character was. She didn't really mm-hmm. like, they allowed a woman to just, they allowed like that female character to be like unhinged, but like, as like she's in on the joke. So it wasn't kind of a trope as much as she was playing, as you said earlier, like she was playing tropes rather than yeah. like being what you would expect of like a person in a movie or like, why would you do that? It's just like, Oh, what are you going to do next? So I like that she's actually a stronger character than one would expect or find in a mm-hmm. typical rom-com than say like Jennifer Lopez in the wedding planner. And I feel like that's the only one I'm referencing, but I do know a lot of them um, who is just like this lonely single woman who everybody's like, when are you going to get a man? Nobody's telling Kate Hudson. No, when are you going to get a man? Like this movie doesn't care about any of that. It just, and nobody's like, I knew that's what you needed or you needed that all along. It just is something that happened rather than saying it. And I, and I like that. And if you look at it from that perspective too, I feel like it is one of the, stronger rom-coms for women in a weird twisted sense um despite it still having terrible stereotypes but it it tries really hard to poke those out and say that these aren't actually wrong and like even kate hudson like empowers michelle and bb newworth being like who will take michelle's personal life for a story (laughs) and then that one woman who's just like i'll do it and it's like no um oh and she's like i quote that um that woman reporter um, composure employee all the time when she like says like, Oh, the deadly pedicure. Although surprisingly upbeat, like, <laughs> like the surprisingly upbeat line. I quote all the time when I like oh. say something like really is devastating and I'm like, but surprisingly upbeat. And it's because of that movie. Um, and just those little like subtle secondary. I mean, she's not even a secondary character and I still know that character and I know her lines and I'm like, I want to get to know that character even more. Like, what are these articles she's writing about deadly, like, pedicures and what your gyno won't tell you? Like, how bad is it? And what's a beat? Like, I want to <laughs> know. Like, it just, she's fun to me. Like, I feel like this show could be explored or this movie could be explored so much right. heavier. Yeah, so it's it's, it, it's problematic in its own ways. Mm-hmm. It's whitewashed. It's got its own little issues. But, you know, you can dissect it and appreciate parts of it and and just but enjoy the ride. It's not asking you to be serious. You shouldn't take it as seriously too. And watching as I mean, I just, I was like, Oh, I miss Kate Hudson. She's not in a yeah. lot anymore. And I, here's the thing. Like, while I, I consider her like, kind of like Mark Wahlberg in that. I think they gave us their like very best when they first broke out. I don't think she's been bad. I just think that almost famous performance is really iconic. It's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and like his boogie nights performance is like have they did they like give us like this all timer thing and then afterwards you know they got to have fun they go do what they do and yeah. she's having fun and she's made a great career but I'm sitting here going like is she the OOs Meg Ryan where like 2010 hit and all of a sudden everybody was done with her like because Meg Ryan was oh. everywhere in the 90s and then yep. 2000 hit. I mean, it's not like she didn't work, but with people, there was no, like, it just immediately when the decade changed, something else. And it's really like Steve Gutenberg, 1989 to 1990, yeah. the guy disappeared. And it's just weird, like, really, like, 2010 hits yeah, and just nothing of stature. Like, it, it is crazy. And she was all over, like. All over, yeah. I don't understand. People like I her. know, and I know. I'm trying to think of, like, 
I mean, I think her interests changed and maybe she got mm-hmm. tired of it. But she's like, as I was saying, she's incredibly talented and given yeah. the freedom to improvise, she nails it. And she's she's engaging. She glows on screen. She has the ease of Goldie Hawn. I mean, I don't know if I don't know. I mean, Goldie Hawn, though, had like huge movies later on in her mm-hmm. career. I mean, not more recently, per se, but she Goldie had Hawn like only first slowed up when Goldie Hawn wanted to slow up. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, Goldie Hawn. Um, another movie that I was close to choosing for you is House Sitter. Um, oh, okay. I think I mentioned that before with Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin, which people dismiss as like a generic rom-com. But it is so good. And that movie does something genius that so many movies always fail at is there's actually no like contrived or unintentional or forced villain um, mm. in that movie. It's just the movie just naturally flows with conflict, but the conflict is all believable rather than forced. Oh, that's my biggest issue with how to lose a guy in 10 days. Now okay. it just reminded me when they found out about the bet and I get why they had to do it. And I thought they handled it really well with the Judy's like laying that little seed to the other two friends who are just like, yeah. Oh, well like, and you know, she was in on it the whole time, but like when she freaked out over it for me, based on everything that's been happening up until that point, it would have been like, oh, now I get why he stayed through all that crap. Yeah. Like it would have like all these little ding, 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 ding things would have gone off. And Matthew McConaughey would have been like, oh, so the first date Andy really was her, but she did it. Oh, like it just there wasn't any time for them to allow themselves to have that kind of like. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, we were both at no not bad. Like yeah. work. Like, oh my god, this is crazy. Like right. I can't believe your boss allowed. Like I I I think they could have I mean, yes, I love the You're So Vain song that was <laughs> unnecessary and Marvin Hamlish being like, That's not my song. Yeah, Marvin like, Hamlish just, is that's so funny. Like uh, uh, But it just I don't I just that is I know why it was in the movie and it gave us a wonderful fun scene Mm -hmm. and it gave me one of my favorite moments of the movie too with Mrs. DeLauer being like oh this is so fun like she's just in the audience having a ball like the 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 scene stealer right there is Mrs. DeLauer um who I love and just her casual like isn't she wearing the Isadora diamond like oh no and they all run out like it gave us that tension but it was unnecessary. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the way to get to it was unnecessary because both of them crossed lines and now they knew why. And it should have, it could have been a moment of like realization. And then I think the conflict could have switched. Like, I don't know where I think the conflict maybe could have uh, like come out of like, maybe she wrote the article, found out after the article, tried to get the article removed but then the original article got published and then like BB newer then becomes kind of like the villain. And then it becomes like another situation. Like, I don't know something that maybe would have like felt more deserved or earned yeah. because that fight just didn't fully feel earned. But again, I think they tried to cover their bases by saying like they're drunk or at least right. Kate Hudson was drunk. And when you're drunk, you're not really thinking. And she really genuinely became vulnerable with him. And I think the shock of meeting the family and going, that wasn't real then kind of like trigger like if you're already heightened reality of that mm-hmm. i mean i'm not mad at it i'm glad we have the scene it wouldn't have worked without it but it just i wish there was just a moment of them talking before a fight broke out or something else got in the way 
where they could have been like, oh, this all makes sense. And they had that moment of revelation of like, now I know why everything was so crazy after yeah. all. And that's that's my big thing with the movie is it just, they needed that moment and it just didn't feel fully earned yet despite being necessary. So maybe she's just a clunky drunk and um, and wasn't able to think clearly in that moment. But who knows? But that's where I struggle with the movie a little bit. Um, but I appreciate her walking out at the end and quitting her job mm-hmm. um, because she just didn't get what, like, she didn't do it. And, I mean, was Ben, was she catering to the guy when he came back to save her, or not save her, like, come to the bridge? I don't know. I mean, like, is it the best message of the ending? Like, it could have maybe... I don't know, but I think they genuinely had a connection with the family and it escalated. So I, I appreciate the end. I don't think she was sacrificing anything for him. I think she was making decisions for herself and choosing to be with him isn't her giving up a job opportunity either because I don't think she knew what she was doing because it happened so quickly. So I think there's issues. People have issues with the ending about like what she's giving up her job to like potential job to go to DC. And it's like, no, she was going to an interview, but like even that they could like figure out. So I don't know. I just think that fight. Yeah. So that's my, that's my one thing that I can say about this movie that I struggle with, but I don't know if I could do it differently. Therefore I approve and I'll allow it. Gotcha. Uh, I have one. I, ha- I do have a gripe with the movie okay. that is probably it's, it's kind of nitpicky, but let me explain. So okay. for a film with a background that's sort of centered around the NBA finals. Yes. And is adapted from a comic book of two sports fans, which I watched the behind the scenes and uh, one of the behind the scenes and they were uh, the two women who wrote the, the comic that's based off. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is a comic book movie folks. Uh, they were at big wangs, a place I hung out with. It was down the street from my apartment when I lived in Los Angeles. They're talking about how big sports fans they are and that's where they go. The film doesn't really seem to know how basketball works and yeah. they have, and like even like McConaughey refers to it as a championship match at one point yeah. and it's the NBA finals and on day nine of their dating he has for their day 13 he has tickets yeah. to game seven yeah which wouldn't have been decided at that point and tickets <laughs> wouldn't be available and then so they're at a game and with two minute under two minutes left she's trying to get him to buy the soda you can't buy concessions once the fourth quarter yeah. has started. They're closed. And so my thing is, <laughs> the reason why I gripe, like, so if the film made Andy a non-sports nut, I could see that it doesn't make sense because the film would take her perspective and wouldn't have to. But they make it a yeah. point that she is a big Knicks fan. She's a big sports fan. So with me as a writer, you need to research these things things and i understand a film can't completely be beholden to all the rules and 100 tight factually but flat out ignorantly like providing a falsity for a sense of comedy like i'm taking out of it and i can't laugh because i'm like that's not true like (laughs) but primarily it's the concessions bit here i get they're trying to fit the nba finals into this window uh, but they don't play. They would have to play the games every other day. They don't. When they travel, they take extra days exactly. off. But that's the one thing that bugged me. I don't know. Like it was just like, yeah, lean into. Look, why couldn't it have been like the third quarter or, I don't know. And he gets stuck in line. I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah. But 
I was just like, you can't buy concessions at that. It's just a <laughs> nitpick. So it has no. Yeah. It's just meant for a scene of comedy. But sometimes I like I like falsities kind of bug me with writing a little bit. But that's that's it. That's that's my gripe. That's that's really funny. I wouldn't. I didn't immediately go to that. But you're right because even like concerts will do that. They close concessions before, yeah. like at least a different, like a certain amount of time before the show ends. But I feel like my thing was how fast the games were happening and there wouldn't be that many home games like in, right. you know, a week. So that was like, that's something I picked up on, but I didn't actually like think about at all because I was so, I found it so adorable how Kate Hudson said thirsty and being parched that I didn't <laughs> care that he was going to get the drink. So I didn't notice that one. I just did notice going like, in what world are there events happening this frequently that they can go to a clean Dion concert that's happening at the same time as the basketball game where there's another basketball game. Like, don't people travel? Like, and they're showing I, uh, yeah, the game so. outside of the Celine Dion concert. Like, yeah, which I mean, I feel like I, I read an article years ago where somebody was like analyzing the likelihood of it. And like there was at no point would they've had like a concert or like and a basketball game happening simultaneously and all these little things about that. And I'm like, OK, fine. Sure. But but yeah, I, I, I don't know how they would have gotten out of that one either. But like but I was again, like, okay, so yeah. this isn't a sports thing. This isn't like sports people. But then when like you know they make Kate Hudson's character a big Knicks fan, she sneaks out to watch the game herself. And then I find out the people who created this comic were big sports fans. I, I wonder if they were like, that's not how basketball works when they saw the adaptation. But I was just—it's just an odd thing that it's a little peeve. But I was like, I have to give the movie it. But I'm still like, I'm not laughing as hard because I'm like, well, you can't do. Like he should know that too. Like, if he's like this big Knicks fan and he goes to games, all that, he should be like, you can't. Yeah. Or, and that could have been funny too, where it's like they're closed. It's like, but I'm so thirsty. Like, found a vending me. machine because and he like, has to hassle vending... the guy at the concessions to yeah. turn it back on and give him one. Yeah, or like, yeah, that's true. They could have like, and then she says, cleaning it up. It's not diet. Yeah, that would have yep. been. There we go. That's in our college version. When we write you're that. you're absolutely right. If they they are still at the concession stand, and if it was somebody cleaning, but like he said, but we're closed, and he was like, no, I need this thing, and then just had a quick moment there, and then like throws down like a twenty, and he's like, just give me a drink. That that you're right. That would have that would have um, solved that problem, um, or that like made that at least slightly more realistic. Because I think probably if somebody threw twenty dollars at somebody and said, give me a soda, if they were about to close the machine down or close the registers. I guarantee you probably you would find somebody who would be like, just pocket the 20 and <laughs> give them yeah. a drink. Yeah. So, so good catch. I didn't even think about that one. So goes Is to show brain? you. Um, Don't know why. Yep, nope. But... That's, that's the thing. Yeah. But I did notice the thing about like having tickets for like day 13. Oh, and that's the other thing. It's like that fight wouldn't have been necessary because he already said before the date, like before the whole like thing on dates after the family day 13, so clearly he wasn't caring about the bet when he offered her about the tickets, which yeah. means when she found out about the bet, he would have been like, but wait, you want to go to the movie? You want to go to the game with me? So why are we fighting? So again, like for movie purposes, they have to do it. Sometimes who knows how they got there, mm-hmm. but the journey getting there was fun and delightful and charming. And they like shaded, um, uh, Marvin Hamlish or whatever, not uh, they sh- like they gave him shade or whatever. Oh yeah, and that um, was kind of funny. I was it before you know before we wrap all that whatever yeah. up. Uh, tying it back in with things, this movie is a big hit. It made over 105 million US. 
177 million, almost made 200 million worldwide on a 50 million budget. It was number one opening weekend, topping Shanghai Nights, which also was opening that weekend, which was the first movie talked about on this show. Oh my goodness. First episode with Scott Mendelson was Shanghai Nights. So like I said, a lot of weird connections here. Uh, the next weekend, it was topped by the opening weekend of Daredevil on Valentine's Day weekend. People wanted Electra and Daredevil over Matthew and Kate, but they saw them the previous weekend. But it still made yep. bank the second weekend too. I mean, so. I mean, it got me to the theaters twice. So <laughs> high school or me being like, I'm going to see this. Uh, yeah. But I did see Shanghai Nights in theaters as well. So, mm-hmm. um, which that's a very interesting movie selection for your very first one. It was. Um, <laughs> it, there was an inside baseball reason for it with my guest. <coughs> that's so funny. Well, and here we are, like talking about the movie that wiped that one out of the box. Wiped it out. out. <laughs> um, but yeah, and like that's the thing is like I don't know if this is even maybe my like would say this is my favorite rom com. It mm-hmm. it's up there. But I don't know if I put this as a rom-com or just as a comedy, right. but it's, it is in one of my like kind of favorite movies, but there's so many, so many rom-coms that I do love, but like the more I think about it is like what defines the favorite movie or is it just one that you can just feel comforted when you watch that, you know, right. really well. And, and this is just one that like, even when I put it on the other day, I just, I didn't want to do other things. Like it's not a background noise mm-hmm. movie for me, even having seen it 20 something times. I just think yeah. it's just so charming that, and then, and uh, even when I get frustrated with it, I'm just like, Oh, you guys, like you are hanging out with friends going like, Oh my God, you're driving me crazy right now. But oh well, well, that's just part of life. And one of the reasons we connected on this one as a pick was because when I met, I don't, I don't know if it's still the case. I, I don't know, but I don't know if it's still the case. But when I met my wife, this was her favorite movie, like ever, yeah. uh, was this movie, and we watched it in preparation for the show. We started it rather late at night, but guess what? She normally falls asleep to like everything. She was up whole way through of all this. I don't know if it's her favorite. Like, probably still is. She's huge. Matthew McConaughey's her fave, um, and like, but this movie, she loves. She loves this movie, and um, she has watched in recent years. Trainwreck's been her on re, uh, regular viewing for her as well, okay. which is a terrific one, in my opinion, um, from recent years. But uh, yeah, so this one, yeah, and I've come to appreciate like not all like there are game changing rom coms, and we know that yes. like Annie Hall, When Harry yep. Met Sally, like Philadelphia's Story, going back, Cary Grant, stuff like that. But like or screwball yeah but like not all of them have to be that there's the ones yep. that come after the ones that that want to be that or just need to get some elements of that and they're fine too they're fun mm-hmm. they're they can be silly if you can have it if you can have halloween and you can have like happy birthday to me you can have annie hall and how to lose a guy in 10 days you can have like you can have all that the the romantic comedy subgenre of comedy can have its own things you just have to open your mind actually watch these fucking movies and find what they're good at see what to enjoy them by like it's that's part of the problem is watching them with the open mind and just enjoying them as comedy for one fuck romance they can be just funny too like yeah it's i mean i think this has more appeal for rom-coms or has broader appeal for rom-coms because mm-hmm. of a think of itself awareness than say 
a made in Manhattan, a wedding planner, a monster in law. I know I just listed a bunch of JLo movies, but I love all those. <laughs> she's um, one of the kings. Like she's she really yeah. but I think the two thousands there was like a resurgence of the mm-hmm. rom com, but it was styled in this kind of glossy candy coated shell. Like even if you look at this movie and like the iconic yellow dress of her, like there's something to me that just screamed. If you look at all the posters from rom coms from like the early two thousands, they're all like pastelli and just very airy and light feeling versus like when you get into the nineties, you have a little bit of edge or like kind of late eighties, early nineties, where you have like kind of the, the, the takeover of pretty woman and kind of the rise of Julia Roberts and mystic pizza, which before that, and then pretty woman and like her kind of stint into more of these softer rom-coms. Like there was like, she did a style of, I, I recently was on a Julia Roberts kick too, and watched like all of like her mystic pizza, Notting Hill mm-hmm. and, um, everything and and she has kind of like those movies are like softer and more subdued and then you get into the 2000s when you start getting more physical comedy or like women being less kind of perfect even though they still are like right. they try to play that relatable like we're quirky like generic thing because you see that when Julia Roberts and um, Richard Gere reunited for Runaway Bride again mm-hmm. one of those like fluffy rom-com movies but it's still very bright shiny and and it just kind of so there's a feel to like the 2000s rom-coms which is very different than the 90s rom-coms which is different than the 80s rom-coms so i don't think that i think um i didn't even think about train train wreck but that's a modern day Mm rom-com and it has almost a more of an indie feel to it despite still being considered a major motion picture right um it just shifting we're shifting styles of the rom-com and they're trying to now showcase like early 2000s. It was like relatable because it was more stronger career oriented women. Um, and then I guess in more modern times, you have like train wreck where it's more body positivity and not just kind of this cookie cutter shape or expectation of looks mm-hmm. because um, train wreck kind of, I mean, Amy Schumer played into that whole like, yeah, thing. So it's interesting to see the evolution of rom-coms and I think men are dismissive to them, but they also, I think, lump rom-coms with just general romance movies too. Or these aren't, these um, aren't aimed at me, so I shouldn't watch them. Like they're just aimed at audiences. Like, I mean, my thing is I like to see filmmakers do their thing and I like to see actors do their thing. I don't, mm-hmm. don't care the genre or whatever, they're good at like like there's a lot of people that don't realize there's a lot of movies they would like because they like they like dot 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 from a certain director but they haven't seen that I'm like did you know they directed that oh they did try it because that guy's making stuff you like he might make the rom com you like or the one that unlocks the door to go back and appreciate the ones you didn't realize you appreciated before like yep it's it's a whole thing like films are like I just see film as a not like I'm trying to be some like genius matrix ones and zeros person but like there's a lot of all the genres have through lines. They have similarities. There's things like if you understand their limitations, what they do, the rule, like they can be enjoyable on any level. The one thing I just have a hardest time getting into is anime. And I've tried a billion times and I want to have that door unlocked. I just haven't been able to successfully do it. Like there's still ones to do, but I, you know, yeah, it's, it's, movies are movies. Like I, I don't get these, 
people throwing themselves into a corner. I mean, that's why I'm called the Brandon Peters show and not like Brandon's scary thing. Like, I don't want to be painted in a horror corner no, anymore. I don't want to be yeah. in the cult movie corner. I want to talk. I want to talk about how to lose a guy in 10 days Yeah. on here. I know you're like, I do, does that fit your show? I'm like, anything fits my show because I watch yeah. all the things. I have thoughts on all the, like, I like, I like doing that. I love that my show goes to this place right here. Like this is this is wonderful, and it's not just a gift to my wife to talk about one of her favorite movies, but like I, I really enjoyed getting and then watching it this time with that lens. Like I have to yeah. talk about this movie, or I have to write about this movie. I see it differently, and then I find both. I appreciate the film more when I do that. Yeah, so. I mean that's the thing is like I just. I'm like, it's so hard for me. I love all styles of movies. Yeah. And I mean, clearly how excited I got over how to lose a guy in 10 days. And I could still talk more about it, mm-hmm. but I'm sure your listeners are probably like over it. You can DM me if you want more about this movie. <laughs> but, um, but like, that's the thing is like, I also just spent like a week rewatching all the Saw movies. Like I right. can go through any genre movie and I'm not just this like guy who just wants to sit and watch a rom-com, but then I'll go from watching all the Saw movies to all the worst like horror movies. I love a good horror movie and can get just as excited about those or watch all these lifetime movies and being like, what's next? Like, I don't know. Like I'll just, I'll take every movie for what they are without prejudging it. I'll let people like what they like and not really like mix it. And I'll just continue to be excited about random movies. Like don't tell mom the babysitter's dead or how to lose a guy in 10 days and more. All right. Matthew and Kate would return in 2008 with Fool's Gold, which effectively ended their potential dominance as a rom-com power couple. I mean, saw that. It was charming in its own way. I'll have to revisit it. I saw it back then. I haven't picked I have it on Blu-ray, but have not. What else? This is where we just talk about something else we may have taken in, put out in the world, whatnot. So, Greg, what else? Oh my goodness. Um, what else? Since last time, um, I, I have, I've been writing more, which is good because I've been kind of like uninspired and I have three kind of children's book stories in the works that I'm oh. actually excited about. Um, so, and one of them is a really fun idea and it's a big departure from my other stuff. Um, it's more of just like a, a fun story without a lot of subtext and heaviness. Like I think some <laughs> of my other children's books have. Um, so I've been trying to like write more, um, and trying to finally get back into screenwriting again after, because I wrote a rom-com that actually Mm -hmm. did sell. It hasn't been made yet, but it did sell. Um, so I'm, I'm trying, I've been kind of disillusioned because producer notes and just the whole process of just navigating that was so exhausting that I kind of stopped wanting to write for a little while, but now I'm kind of getting excited about potentially, you know, reviving the rom-com tradition and working on another one. Um, I've, I've worked on a couple rom-com scripts myself, so. Oh, I did. So there we, yeah. let's see. So, so you I'm do. No stranger you to, even though they weren't my thing when I was writing them, I was trying to write them. So that's fun. So, well then, you know, well off camera, we should talk more about that too. Gotcha. Um, because I've been through the whole process and like I said, it's sold and supposedly in the stages to get made. Um, but like now it, because it's sold to a network, everything's out of my control and I'm a newbie to all that. So I'm like, yay, I did a movie, but then like, but otherwise just watching stuff, as I mentioned earlier, big lifetime kick of these nightmare movies. Y'all have to check them out, but I'm going to now, I just discovered a show. And for all you listeners out there, 
this show just blew my mind open that I did not know it existed. It's, it's a CW show of all things from 2012. Oh, no clue it existed. Only 19 episodes. Devastated. It's over. It's called the L.A. Complex. Uh, oh, I, yeah, I've heard it, of that. It was a Canadian show that okay. then the CW started airing. I blew that through that show in like three days because I was like, I, I just don't want to sleep anymore. I just need to get through it. It is all the fluff and like kind of contrived, like heightened stuff of a CW show that yeah. you'd expect. So if you like those, but this one was ahead of its time <laughs> and one of the most accurate reflections, even in its absurdity of people trying to make it in Hollywood. Never have I seen something like better. It is, but it's still like outlandish and absurd. But also this show does something that blew my mind that okay. was on the CW, but had very much intense gay black sex. <laughs> oh wow like as a through line like i'm sitting there going before empire did that yeah the la complex had a very intense oh, wow. dark heavy storyline of a black hip-hop singer and his suppressed gayness and him trying to deal with life and love and make out scenes and just ripping off clothes and i'm just sitting there going this is 2012 wow. so it, it, the world was really, different back then. I mean, it blew my mind. But a Canadian show that just, I don't think it was well advertised. I don't know what happened to it, but I devastated it's over. The wrap up was fine. I don't think they knew they were ending, but it kind of maybe since they were. So mm -hmm. they left it open for more, but still gave me enough to feel like, okay, I can fill in the gaps if I need to. But it's really fascinating. So if you like those fluffy CW shows, this is 20. And I think the reason why maybe it didn't pick up as much is because it's like 20 somethings, which is not okay. common for the CW. Usually they start in yeah. high school. This is all people who are out of high school, out of college and trying to be performers or producers or writers or whatever in Hollywood. So it's a little different, but still in that veneer of mm -hmm. a 90210 Melrose place, they all live in like an apartment complex together, or as they call it, a long-term motel. Um, so None of it, like none of it's believable in the like kind of overall setup of like how they're living together, but the conversations they have and how cutthroat they are about Hollywood, very real. So check oh. it out. Is it's it on the CWC or um, it where do, it's on Amazon. You can watch it okay. on Amazon. All of it on Amazon. Um, Amazon. That's why I don't know how. Oh, I discovered it by reading a BuzzFeed article of like shows canceled too soon, and most of them I was like, don't care, don't care, and then for some reason this one I was like. Ugh, this looks terrible, but why not? And I'm and give it a couple episodes. Give okay. it a couple episodes. My, like um, I, I love like when Hollywood stuff actually gets it like right about the lifestyle yeah. there. Like, I mean, again, they they get it right because they show people struggling. What they get wrong that you that people will struggle with is how quickly or not quickly things happen. Okay. Um, just because you're just like, wait, this is all happening in a week. Like, mm, that's not necessarily believable. But again, for the purpose of the show, you, you have to just say like, okay, what's happening is potentially true. That can happen, but maybe how quickly it happened or how it got to that point. Maybe it was a little bit like forced just to make sure they got this result, just like the basketball, the basketball game and the getting the soda. It just, you go like, mm, is that really right? But they weren't trying to like say you can buy a basket, like buy a soda. Then they're trying to just get her the drink. So in this one, they're just trying to get stuff. And once they get it, then the scene develops, but maybe getting there is a little like iffy on Hollywood, but just the way they treat casting directors, some of the harshness of it. 
and and some of the scenarios that they place these characters in maybe not really believable as quickly as it happened but i don't know i just really was fascinated by it i just suspension of disbelief and allowed myself to just say sure we're in this world we're going with it but i knew these characters Mm -hmm. i've worked with these people i'm friends with these characters i get it and some of the choices that they made i'm like that's believable and if people watch it and they go that's not believable then i will give them a real life scenario to pretty much everything that i saw there on why it was believable or at least how it happened to me or how i experienced it so um at least i can say it was believable in my frame of reference in my background um especially when i was acting more i love it you know what one surprised me was actually like really almost true to life it was um uh swingers Back in the, uh, I, I I lived off that movie growing up and stuff, and I moved out to Los Angeles and like lived that on like not intentionally, but it was I was like wow that is like people might think oh it's that funny movie you know your money baby all that like that's some accurate depictions of shit in that movie like really really strongly accurate I'm shocked by that to this day. Um, but I, I definitely want to check this. Uh, like I knew yeah, about it, but I never watched it. My what else? You teased it earlier, but it's hacks. Like I finally, uh, finally got that from. I know my listeners probably hate me, like, and I swear I'm not paid by them. But HBO Max, I swear, is the best of the streamers. Uh, I'm right there with you. The I shows, do agree with that. Shows are great. The the vault is great. The movies are great. Like. And right now, where they have the day in the theater window thing, like, I yep. can't, like, Netflix has a bunch of shit. Like, HBO Max has, like, stuff, like, real yes. things. And the best yep. garbage is on Amazon. So you're not even getting that, Netflix. So, yeah, that, that, <laughs> like, yeah. I, but Hacks is great. Uh, it's Gene Smart. Uh, just Vegas, like, we talk about, like, uh, you know, like, yep. Stuff about Hollywood. Vegas has a rich history too, and I don't think they tap into it as much as Hollywood with these shows and stuff. But this one's really got that kind of itch of showing, you know, show business stuff and like has been like you know fading out things like that. And it's just it's rude and it's blunt and it's suspenseful yeah. <laughs> and stuff. So I'm been really enjoying that show, and it's in that nice wheelhouse of these like like the flight attendant where it's like twenty five to thirty minutes. And they, that they nail the drama, they nail the comedy, and it's like, there's no bullshit, and it doesn't feel like they were, like, short on anything. Like, it's, and it's not, like, super tight. It breathes, it does everything, and they're not just, oh, well, it's a drama, so it has to be yeah. an hour. No. And it's yep. working. Like, there's other shows on HBO Max. HBO Max has been doing that, too. Like, these, like, 25-minute things, and it works. Mm-hmm. Like, I love The Flight Attendant, and I'm loving Hex. Like, there's a there's a sweet spot being hit with these like 25 to 30 minute dramedies that oh uh, the uh, made for love was only like 25 30 minutes when they did those too so yep those but I mean I I liked I liked Mare of Easttown too so um that's I, I like still the, haven't that, started that one yet I need to okay. but it's yeah. good it's a, it's a slow burn kind of like the Undoing yeah. um but like I feel like it, but it's seven episodes so I mean HBO I feel like has so much more freedom just just gonna do a show as they see fit because. Um, even hacks, they still release two episodes a night. So it makes it feel like you're watching an hour mm-hmm. because it's hard to like not watch both simultaneously. Right. So it's like, but they give you the option to split it up yeah. into segments in a sense. So I don't know, but I, well, I, HBO that. never I'm, changed. Yeah. 
all the other landscapes change. They all do these streamers, and HBO is still just making their shows. Like they're yeah. actual like Succession. Have you watched Succession? Yep. It's one of the best yep. shows ever. And here's the thing: those are like episodes, actual television. They're not just like some big part of a twelve. Like you could literally walk into like episode three, season one of Succession, and just go, you know what? This is pretty good. I'll keep watching this, and then not go like and feel fine. Like it's not based upon you binging a show over a weekend they actually or a, a season they actually just make these good they're part of a bigger arc but the episodes actually have beginning middles and ends rather yeah. than just feeling like a bunch of bridges and it just it's all about where's it end like actually enjoy the ride of the show enjoy these watching these characters build and that's what the HBO shows do that the Netflixes yes. the Amazons and stuff aren't doing it's just like I get the intensity that doing these R-rated things on TV and making them like movies is is something, but uh, you know, movies get cut down to two and a half hours, hour forty minutes for a reason, and not just extended. But yeah, HBO Max hacks. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. I support that, and yeah, I watch all of it. And there's more episodes that came out. Yeah, today. Today, today, yeah. 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 As we record. So, um, yeah. So. That's exciting, but as the but again, LA Complex is not an HBO type of thing. No. It is a very CW. Go in with a CW lens because there we go. yeah, like it's not the same. It, it does not character develop in the same way, but it's still a fun ride if you like CW stuff. Um, ahead of its time, anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> hey, uh, that'll wrap us up for today, Greg. Uh, thank you for your glorious return to the show. Uh, thank you. Even more fun than last time. Like um, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, before we nod off uh, for today, let people know where best to follow you and keep up with your work. Uh, as usual, you can follow me on um, Instagram um, at the McGoonies, M- like the McGoonies, M-C-G-O-O-N-I-E-S. Um, and that's the same for Twitter and Facebook, but I don't really use those as much because they all give me anxiety. So Instagram is the best way to reach me. Um, and you can message me about any of my like things about these movies. Um, that I've said, or if you disagree, feel free to let me know and why. Um, always curious. And yeah, that's, and, or you can go to my website and email me. Um, anyway, I'm available. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at brand4kuhd, written work at whysoblue.com. There's more for the Brand Peters Show this week. But until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film chatter. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.
down oh no. Please. Oh no. <gasps> Our love fern! It's dead! No, honey, it's just sleeping. You let it die! You gonna let us die? Hmm? You should think about that. Love fern. 